Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of 195 Stamps Podcast, the travel podcast that you deserve. Today, I have a really, 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 and I hate to oversell it, really good guest. Um, Eric from the Minority Nomad. If you aren't aware of the Minority Nomad, I will aware you today. Very good conversation. Um, we talked about expat life, living different places, um, photography, racism. Uh, we we covered it all. We covered it all. Um, when I first kind of you know was was preparing for this, I thought, you know, could I? You know, I'm I'm talking to an expat. Could I live? Could I live? In another country, Asia, Europe, South America, something like that. Um, and for me anyway, the answer was nah, I can't do it. I can't do it. Not because I don't love to live other places or travel other places, anything like that. I'd be thinking about, you know, where I'm gonna get a haircut. Like, unless I just grow out, you know. The the Stevie Wonder, well, my hairline is bad, Stevie Wonder, but unless I just grow my hair all the way out, like, where am I going to get a haircut at? And I kind of enjoy the black barbershop experience that is unique to America. I kind of like that a little bit because, you know, I'm sure, you know, down in Brazil, Cuba, um, it, it, it's somewhere down there. They can cut you. They got texture hair like me. They I, I could figure it out, but it's everything that goes along with it. I don't know if I'm ready to give that up. I don't know if I'm ready to get it up. I could definitely live. Um, if I could take my barber with me, like, yeah, I can make that move. You know, let's, let's, let's go ahead and roll out. I can do that. But unless and until, you know, I'm going to just have to lead up for the more adventurous folks, man. I can't do it. Um, but anyway, I went about an hour with Eric. I really think you'll enjoy it. Um, Make sure uh, you subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, I'm gonna drop a couple of things in the in the comments that we talked about, um, and enjoy. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I appreciate you checking out another episode of 195 Stamps Podcast. I got my guy, Eric, the minority nomad. Eric, what's going on, man? How you doing? Hey, what's up, brother? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, nah, man, I appreciate you coming on. So we got a big time difference right now. You know, I had to drink some coffee before this because I don't work. It's a full, <laughs> a full ass corporate capitalism day. Um, it's, it's like, I don't what? miss those days. Man, bro, come on, man. I'm trying to liberate myself. Uh, it's, it's 1 a.m. for me. What time is it over there? Where you at? Uh, 12 20 p.m lovely now yeah. now what for the listeners where are, are you located uh bangkok i live in bangkok uh when i'm not on the road you know po- you know before covid hit uh, mm-hmm. bangkok's been my home for about almost six years now so i know a lot of people talk about the expat life and it's more that you know because we out here on the american plantation it's like that that land like going north it's like man one mm-hmm. day i'm gonna get out of here you know, I'm a, I'm a go north. <laughs> People talk about one day I'm gonna get out of here. And you in Georgia too? That was a real conversation for a long time, bro. What? What? <laughs> so, 
how did you get to to Bangkok? Like, where where did you start off? Well, I mean, man, that's a long story, but let me TLDR it for you. <laughs> um, I was on the road. I, I, I hit the road full time in 2012. So uh, I'm going to say I did maybe three and a half years of full time travel, like no base, just on the road. Oh, wow. And then I realized, you know, whenever I got sick, I came to Bangkok. Whenever I got tired, I came to Bangkok. I got bored, I came to Bangkok. So Bangkok just became my home. You know, it's one of those places where um, I just felt comfortable. You ever flew into an airport after a long trip, a business trip, and you just felt home? Like the sights, the sound, the air, you just Mm -hmm. felt home. That's Bangkok for me. Like it's not JFK, it's not LAX or AUS, it's BKK. Whenever I land in BKK, the smell of lavender, the excitement of the streets, the the smells of the food, the the the, the Thai language, the, how people move, it just feels home to me. So um, I ended up getting a place. Uh, 2015, I bought a condo here, and uh, yeah, I've been this has been my base ever since. Maybe four or five months a year when I'm not on the road, I'm in Bangkok. That's but dope. A lot longer now. A lot longer Man. now. This is the longest I've ever been here, actually. Six months straight. Six, as long as I've ever been. Bro, like, COVID really, really ruined a lot. of Not a lot. Like, And, and I hate to say ruin that because I'm talking about in the travel yeah. aspect. It has a mm-hmm. very real, tangible, um, like, there are tangible consequences that people are going through. And I don't want to make light of those. Mm-hmm. But right. it is really tough, man, because, like, you know, for people who are really on this travel stuff, like, <laughs> having a travel podcast when it's a quarantine, tough. <laughs> Tough. Try, try being a travel journalist. Man. <laughs> Tough. Now, you know, but one thing I see that is, um, you know, just a testament to the creativity of people who are content creators is a lot of people have turned from, all right, normally I'll be in Europe and I'll come back or I'll go Africa, wherever it is, right? And they're taking these on location pictures, uh, videos it's turned into a lot of kind of DIY how to, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is pretty good. And I'm, yeah. I'm impressed. Like the travel spirit does not die for, for a lot of people out here. And that's really yeah. cool, man. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, uh, interesting. I was one of those DIY people when we were actually in quarantine, like Thailand, it, it was a legit quarantine. Like we didn't go out. There was no, <laughs> what's arguing, that? No, like, yeah, for real. There was no debate about it. We were in quarantine and I became a fucking, I bought an air fryer, bro. Hey, 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 man, let life. me tell you something. If I can replace my real oven with the air fryer. Yep, yep, bro. It was the, I, I did, I want to say there was a good four weeks, four or five weeks where I posted a cooking video every single day with the air fryer. <laughs> Uh, on my IG, like I was air frying everything, Bruh. but you know, it's interesting now. And we have this uh, conversation within our community a lot is, you know, what's next. And, and for me, you know, I don't want to make a lot, make light of the situation for people who are still in this space. Right. Um, I'm blessed to live in Thailand where I've made some amazing relationships in the travel community uh, with tour companies, with hotels, with restaurant tours. Some of my best friends are some of the uh, Michelin star chef here in Bangkok. So I see the very real struggle. Right. However, I think this is something that many of us saw coming five years ago and not COVID, but we saw something. We saw a, 
a unsustainable reliance on tourism, on mass tourism to be specific, on, um, on destructive tourism. Uh, on, uh, there was an issue with over tourism, especially here in Asia and over in Europe, mm-hmm. where we already knew this couldn't last. So you guys need to diversify. And what COVID's done, it's, it's forced people to diversify in many ways, not just the travel space. Something I learned early in life, my uncle always said, always have three streams of income that don't touch each other. Mm. I have, I've always had three streams of income since I was maybe 13 years old. Oh, so wow. for me, it, it was travel journalism. It was my digital marketing firm and something separate I don't speak about publicly. The first two ended up getting killed by COVID. And the last one is what's sustaining me and my family. So I've been preaching this. If, if you go back to podcasts I've done before, speeches at co- travel conferences, I always give that piece of advice to content creators or anybody who's trying to be an entrepreneur. Now people are really trying to starting to listen and understanding exactly where I'm coming from because we had a decade of gravy. 2010 to 2020 was excellent for everybody. Absolutely. Some people don't want to admit it, but we had a really good run. Oh, so we, people ate because look at the the, the past five did. years. I'd say mm-hmm. the black travel movement has exploded yep. to a place yep. where I honestly like I didn't see it because it, it wasn't it wasn't happening. We didn't have that disposable income that we did in the past decade. Like Obama, whew, like I always <laughs> say, Obama hooked us up when I went. To, I remember I used to go to, to Europe because. I've been traveling since, say, I joined the military t- 2001. Beginning of 2001, I started traveling internationally that year. So we hadn't been able, Europe, our, my European friends, Germans, Italians, French, uh, Brits, would talk shit about how cheap the United States is for them to travel to. And they were correct. The United States was a bargain by comparison to Europe. But when President Obama came in and fixed the economy, no matter what Trump says, President Obama came in and helped fix the economy, things flipped. That dollar got real strong, and it was a lot easier for us to travel to places like France or Germany or the UK or more so the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. So that's something that you're absolutely correct. The past five years of black travel exploded because we had disposable income. And it's funny to see... How, because, you know, we, we are the tastemakers. We kind of curate the, the culture and it's like, wait, yeah, I, I want to say around 2017 is when you started seeing like mainstream media take notice. So then you'll see like travel and leisure talking to this person or time magazine, you know, reaching out to uh, this blogger. And that's like, oh, there's a whole black travel market that CNN is, is tapping into. And it's funny because it's like, you know, we, you know, in the past 10 years, obviously things have been going up. But like black people have been getting out and going places. Um, the Internet has just made that a lot more accessible to see um, Instagram, the sharing communities, Facebook, all of that. And one thing that is is, is kind of interesting to me is like I. I kind of grew up um, a bit fortunate. Like my mom worked for Delta her, basically Ooh, her whole adult life. Past life, baby. Man, come on now. Like Woo! her whole adult life, she basically worked there, which is my whole life, right? And yeah. she just retired like two weeks ago. So 
you know, it's funny when I was a kid, we would go to all these places. Right. So to me, mm-hmm. being black and traveling, it wasn't like a this foreign thing. It was just kind of something we did. Like, all right, in the summertime, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to go to Europe. We're going to go to Africa. She going to drag me somewhere. I don't want to go because I'm 14 and closed minded and I want to stay home mm-hmm. and, you know, play basketball and do this. But yeah. as I got older um, and started really appreciating and understanding what it was that she was doing, I was like, dang, I need to hit a lot more of these places. Like, I need to go, 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 mm-hmm. go. And then, uh, mm-hmm. like, right when I got to college and afterwards, uh, I was like, damn, I ain't got no money. I can't go to Europe. Like, I, <laughs> this job ain't really paying. What, why y'all didn't tell me <laughs> that adulthood came with all these bills? Like, I can't afford to go to Dubai. Like, what's going yeah. on? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. I, you know, my cousin worked for that. I was on his uh, buddy, but I was his companion. Oh, that's love. Flying SS3 for a good two and a half years. Then he got a girlfriend. Damn. Like, Dog, you sure? You sure? Are you Is you sure, sure you she the one? Like you sure? You know, you put her on. It's gonna take six months to get her off. Come on, man. <laughs> don't do me like that. Exactly. Yeah, don't, don't do me. I'm used to first class now. Come on, <laughs> man. But it was, you know, it, it's interesting that you say that because one, uh, I ended up getting an email a few days ago from a a new teacher at my alma mater, uh, Shaw High School in East Cleveland, and she was uh, saying that she found an article about me. Um, in the archives of our, uh, like in the back room of some art, art room, old supply stuff. And she reached out to me and was asking if I would be willing to talk to the kids uh, about what I do now and, you know, how, how um, my world was impacted by art. You know, I'm a photographer, so I'm an artist. And it, it reminded me of when I used to go back and talk to kids when I first started this career. Let's say 2013, 2014 was around the last time I, I was able to go back. And just standing in front of these kids, it was shocking to me that I could stand in front of 30 kids and talk about traveling, traveling internationally, and they were all baffled by it. It was like discovering fire for them. Like, <laughs> I'll never forget this young sister wasn't paying paying attention to a damn thing I was saying. Like she was one of those kids. She was like me. I I, I didn't care what anybody was saying in front of me really. And out of nowhere, she yelled. She's like, "Well, can I go to Italy? Cause I like Italian food." And I could see in her eyes that she expected the answer to be no. I could just see her face. Mm-hmm. Like she was just saying that to be contrarian. And I said, oh, "Yeah, of course." And she was like, "Really?" I was like, "Yeah. There's nothing stopping you." from going to Italy. And she said, well, I heard they don't like black people. I was like, well, did you hear that from a black person that went to Italy? And her answer was no. And I think part of the issue, you know, that you said, you know, you were 14 years old and wanted to just stay home and play basketball was we don't reach kids early enough and expose them to international travel. We don't, we don't, celebrate it beyond doing it for the gram, which is something I've been getting in trouble with about for years being critical of these black travel groups is they go to places like India or the islands or go to, go to Dubai and they do not integrate into the culture, the local communities. I know this because that's what I do. I integrate into yes, the you local do. community. Yes, you do. So if you, if you go to a place and you toss on a sari and take pictures without understanding the significance of a sari, 
you're doing a disservice not only to yourself, but that community as well. Absolutely. But when you take people of color who move to a place like Paris, like you look at James Baldwin mm-hmm. and his impact, what how Paris allowed him as a gay black man during the civil rights movement to create the content and the narrative that he created. If you take Paris out of that equation, it's an entirely different conversation. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So you have to have, you have to look at how we as African-Americans, and that's, I presume that's what your audience is, predominantly African-Americans. Yeah. You have to look at what we as a community have to contribute to these other places and what we can take away from those experiences. And when we share this content, this information, we have to create it or cultivate it in a way that a 13-year-old version of ourselves would be more receptive to. These Black travel groups and, and, and these projects are geared towards adults with money trying to get them to pay for a trip, to get them like, we're going to go on this group, group trip to this place. How about we create content to help create a culture of travel. And you won't even have to sell these. You won't even have to sell group trips because they'll fill up anyway. That's true. If we got to start early with our little brothers, our little sisters, our nieces, nephews, and cousins, because here's the reality of it. When they turn 22 out of college and they get that first job, it ain't going to pay enough for them to be taking weekend trips to Dubai every other month. Nah. Just the real. But if you cultivate travel at an early age, their sophomore and junior years of college, they're going to take a study abroad spot, which is a massive problem. Did you know that it's almost 90% white in study abroad programs in the United States? Uh, Yes. I I didn't know that was the number, but I could see it. I wanted to do a study abroad program when I was in college, but bro, like those things are so expensive. And and, so and, and one of the, I was on a flight from Austin. I was on a flight from Austin to New York, and I happened to be sitting next to, and I was flying S three Buddy Pass in first class. Right, shout I was out sitting next, <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, and there's a point for me saying that. I ended up sitting next to the president of Houston Tillotson University in Austin, HT. Just so happens, um, and we were just talking, and this was about two years after I started my career. He was asking what I did for a living. Um, and then he actually invited me to come to the university to speak. And on the flight, we were discussing how many study abroad grants there are for minority students, but minority students don't know they exist. And those who do know choose not to take. And I wish I'd a, known that. <laughs> exactly. It's a travesty how this isn't considered a priority at most HBCUs. It should be an absolute vital point in everybody's college career to study abroad for at least a semester. And it's something I'm I'm passionate about because that will be the easiest and quickest way to get international travel into the lifeblood of our community. No, you're absolutely right. And one thing about it is, you know, you kind of talked about, you know, how, how tough it is for kids to conceptualize like, Hey, I can go like the little girl. I can go to Italy because I like Italian food. And that's something that is, is it's kind of in our, our culture. And by our culture, I mean both black culture and American culture. A lot of the images that we are projected, um, especially from 
you know, the start of our lives is that everything good is in America. Um, everything mm. also kind of good is in Europe, but Asia yep. and Africa and South America, mm, the places where people are a little bit darker, got a little bit of tint to yeah. the skin. Mm, mm-hmm. You might want to stay clear of that, but you yeah. know, okay. every, everything we got here is, is fabulous. And then, you know, you get outside of America and you realize, Oh, we are just the ghetto in a Gucci belt. Like that's what we yeah. are. It's <laughs> a you- show. It, it, we, we have it, you know, and, and I think that's a great thing. COVID has exposed more. So Man. So those of us who've lived abroad or who travel extensively, we already knew this. This isn't a shock to us. Exactly. I've lived overseas for, since 2012. I have not had a residence in, in the States in eight years. And everywhere I've lived abroad, I lived in Romania, I lived in Budapest, a short time in Prague, Malaysia, Bali, and Bangkok, like the, the, in, in the past eight years off and on, right? Wow. And it's interesting because even though I, you know, in Budapest, I was only there, I did three months in Budapest, um, and traveling around Europe on a project. And you just see how simple things are are, are better. For example, I ended up uh, getting a strep throat. There was no, I went to the doctor, I paid $40 and I walked out with medication and uh, that's it. That was it. 40 bucks, walked in, saw the doctor, got medication, went home. Of course, it, we already know that wouldn't happen here. You would have to, first of all, of you, course. by the time you got through filling out forms, your strep throat would have been gone. Yep. yep. <laughs> Yep, it would have took a week just for that. Right, and 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 it's and, and it's just simple things like that, where you know, in uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, she left her. We we live in Bangkok to get, like across from each other. Like later, our building. I can see her building out my window right now. She left her key in her motorbike. Almost everybody has a motorbike here. Mm-hmm. She left her key in a motorbike overnight, and this is like the thirtieth time that she's done. <laughs> here, there is zero fear that somebody's going to take that bike. None. I can walk down the street at four o'clock in the morning, drunk off my ass. There's no fear that anybody's going to do anything to me. And, but you can't say that for Atlanta nah. or Cleveland where I grew up in the broad daylight, you'll get robbed coming home from school for your books. So it's like, it's frustrating because I was in the military for 10 and a half years. I love my country. I love us American people. I love our culture, but there's so much wrong in our country that can be easily fixed. And part of the problem is our arrogance, our, mm-hmm. our, our, our delusional arrogance. And that arrogance comes from the fact that so few Americans see how other people are living. Absolutely, and, I, and that's not and that's not an accident. That no. is not by accident at no, all. It's not. It's baffling. You know. You know. It was something. Uh, the most recent stats say that around fifty-one percent of Americans have passports. It was around twenty-eight percent until we needed passports to go to Canada and Mexico, and then it started to shoot up, shoot up yearly. Mm-hmm. And then also the economic boom of the last decade made it you know, so more people could travel internationally. The number one place that we travel internationally, Mexico. Mexico. <laughs> it's right there. Right there. <laughs> uh, a, a place where we pretty much know Mexico. <laughs> like, and that's we, the we other know. part of travel that people um, have confused. It's not 
it's only as scary as you want it to be. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, now for me, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. I take solo trips. I went when Cuba opened up after the embargo was lifted from, Mm -hmm. from Obama, I went there in Mm -hmm. 2016 on a solo trip for my birthday. Mm -hmm. I don't speak a lick of any, um, consequential Mm -hmm. Spanish. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I just went right. Cause I was like, Hey, it's Cuba. Like it's shrouded in a mystery. Like that was part of the draw for me. And Mm -hmm. You know, I have friends like you weren't scared. Like, I mean, what's the word? I mean, not what's the worst that can happen, but like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, you yeah. know, I get over I there. Mean, how, what? <laughs> I'm going to just go because it's there. How, how many brothers and sisters traveling internationally have come back and told you I got kidnapped, mm-hmm. I got raped, I got robbed, I got jumped? Where? No. I, I mean, I'm, it's it just, it's not a, it doesn't happen. No. Like, I mean, it happens, of course, right. but it's extremely rare you Not know the funny mention- thing about that yeah go ahead sorry sorry but that, that no, reminds me the funny thing about that is um you know i've only experienced so i've you know been pretty much all the continents we can go to outside of antarctica but mm-hmm. the only place where it was like palpable racism i don't even know if you call it i guess you do call it racism but prejudice where me and my friends almost got in a fight was in Rio, uh, Carnival mm. 2016. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to tell you what it was. It was a dude that was probably about shh, LeBron James complexion, uh, Brazilian guy in a, in a, in a San Antonio Spurs Jersey called me a nigger. Um, and even though he's black, like he is of African ancestry, mm-hmm. like the slave mm-hmm. ship stopped there too. Cause yeah. you know, Brazil has the, actually the, the largest number largest, of Africans, yeah, largest Africans. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Um, and I knew he was black, but him calling me a, like the hard R like it just, yeah. it, you know, you know what he meant because he didn't see himself mm-hmm. as black. And mm-hmm. I started seeing red right there. That was the only negative racial experience that I've had outside of the United States. Oh, it's, it's, you know, I, I, tell, I, I turned down a, a feature spot in something in this really big magazine. I don't want to name them because I want to work with them in the future, <laughs> but uh, you know, after when the BLM thing started, you know, uh, all these emails started rolling in about, of course, cause hey, they need a black face, <laughs> need a black face. And they, uh, Oh, can you tell us about your negative experience traveling uh, traveling around the world with racism. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm going to be real. I'm not the best person for this because I largely have not had that issue outside of the United States. And it's a U.S.-based publication. And I said, look, the U.S. is the most racist place on the planet Earth by far. It's not even close. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was going back and forth. Um, and, you know, she was offended that I would... I, it was like she was offended that I had not faced racism abroad. Said, <laughs> well, maybe you just don't see it. And I'm like... Excuse me. Okay. I'm like, okay, you know, God forbid, I'm a black man, <laughs> like that's traveling the world. It's like something you have to realize. And there's a, I'm gonna give a shout out to uh, Ben. Uh, ben is a, a black, a black man, but he's French. Uh, ben around the world, and another brother, Omo. Um, he he has a a, um, a channel with his wife uh, Yolanda in London um, called uh, Hey Dip Your Toes In. Amazing. Me, Ben, and Omo did a podcast with uh, Sassy. Um, Sassy Wyatt, she 
She's a blind um, YouTuber influencer. Oh, wow. And we were discussing traveling the world as black men. And all of us said the same thing, that you will experience bouts uh, or, or pockets of racism or discriminatory behavior, especially if you're af- of African descent, like Omo, Omo's Nigerian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Ben travels, he's black, but he's French with a French passport. So people are like, wait a minute, there are black people in France, you know? Right. So, but overall speaking, speaking overall, our experience with international travel as black men is largely positive. It is. I've been in 95 countries and I've only experienced what I would call racism in two of those countries. One of them, and, and, and neither one of them is over you a nigga racism. I got arrested in Argentina and it was kind of my fault. And I got tossed in a cell and ended up getting my way out because I speak Spanish and I was okay. Mm-hmm. It could have been seen as racism. Like, yeah, you're doing this because I'm black, but eh, I can't prove it. And in Russia, I was actually told uh, by a restaurant owner that he was worried for me because I'm black, uh, because we aren't welcome there. We were, I wasn't, he wasn't saying that I'm not welcome at his restaurant. Wow. But overall, being black in St. Petersburg was an issue at that point in time. I wouldn't call that necessarily racism, but, you know, the energy that I got, you know, people weren't happy to see me or excited to see me there, right? No, that makes so sense. So when, when, when people, people ask me, and, you know, over my career, do I ever get scared or have I ever had any issues abroad? My answer is always no. I'm more afraid to go back to the United States for a significant amount of time than I am to go to any country on the planet Earth, to be honest. So have you, you spoke on Argentina. Have you, yeah. uh, have you heard the story of why there are no black people there? Uh, no, no. I, I mean, there are, there are black people there. But well, like, like a story. Brazil type, no black people there. Uh, no, I haven't heard a story. So I actually learned this uh, watching the World Cup. Uh, a couple years ago, and I'm not even a huge soccer fan. I just happened to watch the World mm-hmm. Cup, and it's it's wild. However, it is so on brand um, for the people that <laughs> essentially colonized um, Argentina. So they had black people there. They brought them there just like they brought them to Brazil, slaves, right? So mm-hmm. after uh, the transatlantic slave trade was abolished, they had all these black people here, and they were like, all right, well, we don't really want them here. So the government essentially created two um, concurrent uh, practices of genocide to get all the black people out. So Hmm. one of them, and I'm going off the top here. So uh, for those listening, you might have to fact check me a bit, but this is the gist of it. They drafted a lot of them uh, into the military and sent them to this war that they knew Argentina and knew they were going to lose. So that killed a bunch of them. The ones that were Hmm. left they took and essentially just kind of killed them in a, in a, in a genocide. Um, and they are not shy about it either. They're like, yeah, that, that black thing is a Brazilian problem. Like we don't, you know, we keeping it, 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 it lightened and white and right around here. Oh yeah. They don't fuck around. And, and you know, a lot of, a lot of people get mad at me for saying this. I spent quite a bit of time in Argentina and Chile. Um, Chile uh, Argentinians are delusional. Uh, specifically Porteños, uh, those from Buenos Aires, they're delusional and they're thinking they're Italian. And they've taken all of the negative traits of Italy into themselves. One of those things being the fucking racism. It, it's, 
I mean, it is on point there. I told the, I remember uh, this is a quick story about what, something that happened to me when I was in Argentina. I'm mm-hmm. a dancer, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I went to Argentina specifically to learn tango. And I stayed a month there learning tango in Buenos Aires. Dope. So I'm walking down the street with a sister. She's Canadian and Benin. Her father's uh, her father is uh, white Canadian. Her mom's from Benin, and she has the most beautiful mocha skin, like Kerry Washington, stunning. Okay, you got so my attention. She's a lover. So we're walking down the street in uh, Palermo Soho, which is in the middle of Buenos Aires. It's kind of a, a wealthy area of Buenos Aires. So we're on the way to Palermo Hollywood. Uh, to where the bars are. We're walking and to see a couple maybe in their 40s. He grabs her by the arm, drags her into the street to walk around us. And me and my friend are just talking. I see this. And I start, I look back and you can see him like hustling and looking back at us out of fear. They're like, scared. And I asked my friend, like, yo, you see that shit? And she's like, what? And then I told her, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. I'm like, what do you mean that happens all the time? It's like, yeah, they don't like black people here. This is when I first got to Buenos Aires, and I didn't understand it. Then I met up with some friends um, at a barbecue. Everybody's from Argentina. Everybody's Argentinian. And I, I talked about this, and they said, yeah, that's how it is here. The older gener- generation are racist. And I'm like, that doesn't bother you guys? And, and for them, they're like, it, it is what it is, because it doesn't affect them. Like, it, it's just not a thing that impacts them. And there's not enough black people there to raise hell about it. So it's something that goes, unchecked, goes on yeah. just unchecked. So with me, and I, I literally had to explain for an hour why it's a problem. And one of my friends, she pulls me aside. She was like, you know, this is a battle you're not going to win here. It's just the way it is here. And I'm like, man, that's, that's that hard. the way it is. Shit is tough. I don't it's like that. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's tough. You know, I love, and, and again, the, I wouldn't, nobody at that barbecue, I would call racist. Mm-hmm. Not one of those, one of those, if I'm on the street, those are people that would help me look out for me. And they did, they supported me and they were there, my good friends the entire time I was there, still in contact with them. But that's how it is there. So, you know, it, it's one of those things, man. Like there are places in the world that, that are just rough. Man, that's, you know, it's, it's frustrating, right? Because you, you hear about those situations, you experience them. And, you know, to no fault of, of, of your own, people just feel this way based on projections from essentially America. Um, Mm -hmm. Like they've done an excellent job at basically peddling um, and fear mongering after being the ones that kind of started the agitation. And then, you know, they throw the rock and hide the hand and like, whoa, why are y'all so violent and mad? Jeez. Mm -hmm. What's going on? Oh, yeah. it's, 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 it's amazing. It's amazing. But, you know, let's move on to something a little bit more uplifting, more positive. Because race, <laughs> we can spend the whole podcast yeah, in, in ex- sections easy. on our race in America and around the world. So one thing that, you know, I want to encourage the listeners to do is to check out your Instagram and check out your YouTube. They are, um, very similar, but very different. Your YouTube um, goes a lot into your experiences around the world. And it's not just you talking into a camera. It's being on the ground, you know, walking through India, Romania, Bangkok, wherever you are. And the Instagram is um, just a lot of really dope ass pictures 
And I'm assuming most of those are in Bangkok, right? No, no, not even close. Really? Um, okay. Oh my God. Maybe my whole feed, maybe 10 to 15. 10 posts. to 15. I, yeah. I don't, I don't actually, it's funny. I don't post much about Bangkok on YouTube or Instagram because for me, it's home. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, you know, YouTube, Instagram, take a photos. That's my job. It's what I do for work. So when I'm in Bangkok, it's home for me. I'm catching up with friends. I'm, you know, getting back, back into shape. I'm, I'm, I'm kicking it with my girl. I'm, I'm, you know, it's home for me. So I'm not out documenting much. Got it. So if you go to my Instagram, I mean, like, I, I want to say what well, today, uh, I'm, yesterday I was posting them from around the world, you know, 10 different places around the world. One was from Thailand. Today I'll be posting about my time in Moldova. Like it's uh, definitely not just Bangkok. I didn't close actually. Oh man, I had it. All, I had it all wrong. I, you know, because I no, looked no, at no. the at the pictures, and yeah, it just seemed like it was all you know a lot there. But you know, I say that to say your photography game is crazy. I am an amateur's amateur photographer. Like I have a friend who got into it mm, four or five years ago, and he's dope now. Like he gets paid nice. to shoot stuff. And it's almost like, damn, I kind of want to get better, but he's always offering to take the picture. So I'm like, shit, I might might as well let a professional take them. So how did you get your, your start in travel photography? Well, I'm, I've been a photographer since I was 13. Okay. So, um, you know, that, you know, the story I told earlier about the art teacher emailing me, the foundation of that was she was trying to find students who had worked, uh, who had been mentored by a previous teacher there. Um, her name was Irene Schinkel, and I was in line to be expelled for truancy. You know, I was a straight A student, but I never went to school. This is when they start instituting the truancy laws. Like, uh-huh. If you missed 14 days in a year, you were expelled or kicked out. Um, I happened to be lucky enough to have an assistant principal that was friends with my grandfather who said, look, either you get expelled or you go to a vocational program. So I went to the vocational program with the second most girls in it because cosmetology was full. So <laughs> I went to commercial arts. I, I don't have an artistic bone in my body. I can't draw, I can't paint, sculpt, none of that. So she gave me a camera and taught me how to use a camera. This was back in the film days. And I've been a photographer ever since. You know, what uh, was it, 25 years, 24 years later? Yeah. That is dope. That yeah, is dope. Yeah. And I, I mean, that was, it's just my medium of discussion. You know, I, I speak really quickly. Um, sometimes I don't know how to word things properly. Um, and, and there's a lot of language barriers in what I do, but. I've found that photography is that universal thing that hits everybody. You know, you can, if, if you put an essay in front of somebody, a, a 2000 word essay, they'll read the first bit of it and eh, I'm moving on. But if you put a beautiful photo in front of somebody, they stop. Oh, absolutely. There's, there are very few things. Even video can't do this yet. No. Like, photography stops people in their tracks. I don't care if it's a billboard or uh, or a store window or on a bus or in a magazine or on your phone, photography stops people dead in their tracks. And that's what I love to do is to get people to stop and think. So when I was in, in high school, I, uh, I went to two high schools. I went to one that was all black and like blackity black. Right. And then I transferred to one that was, uh, about, you know, 60% white, you know, and then the rest was basically black and Latino. Um, but it was in a, a more affluent part of town. So I'm at this high school and, you know, you got to take your electives, do what you got to do. Um, I ended up taking a photography class cause what the hell, I don't even remember why I just took it. 
And now if you've done this before, um, you'll know what I'm talking about. We had to make a, a pinhole camera out of a box. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Of course. Man. So, yeah, yeah. so again, I, I'm okay at drawing, um, but that's pretty much it. And I never really had any camera other than like the, you know, the Olympus point and shoot that, you know, mm-hmm. the family has yeah, or like a disposable. Yeah. So, you know, we make the pinhole camera and we have to design it. And my design is so basic. And they're like, all right, well, for those of you who don't know, a pinhole camera is essentially you take what looks like a, uh, for lack of a better word, you take like a shoebox. Um, yep. You cut a hole on the side, you put some type of film in there, and then you have like a sliding door. And you slide this door open, let the light come in, right, on your subject. And however long you leave it out there, that's how long the exposure is. You close it, you take it back in the film room, expose your film. That's essentially what mm-hmm. it is. So I would take the pictures, right? And my exposure was fine, but you were graded. Um, she said, I'm grading you on feel. And I was taking pictures, and I'm in high school, a black kid in high school. So most of my pictures are Jordans or basketball court <laughs> or whatever. And she was she looks what you like you would expect a an art teacher to look like eccentric. And she's like, you know, the pictures like you're doing technically they are correct. Like you're leaving the exposure times out, like you're doing what you're supposed to do. But I don't like any of them because like, what are you trying to say? It's just a picture of something like what, like, what is this? And I was like, it's a shoe. And she was like, all right, well, you know, go look in whatever magazine. And most of the time when they feature a shoe, they make that shoe tell a story. Like when, when the new Jordans are coming out, remember the East Bay magazines back in the day? Oh yeah. They will have them on the athlete, right? Like they have them on Ray Allen or Michael Jordan and they'd be in in a situation. Want to be, want to be like Mike. Exactly. And they wanted, and they would be in a situation to make you say, damn, I need the mics. Yo, I man, need you those. threw me back, man. You just threw me back <laughs> with that East Bay reference, man. Yo, anybody don't remember East Bay? Oh, man. Man, I used to sit in there like, I need them. I used to love it. In the 90s, East Bay was the shoe Bible, man. Man, what? Oh. But, you know, and I, and I say that to say, like, you were exactly right. Like, the picture tells a story. Like, a picture's worth mm-hmm. a thousand words. It's so right. And... What I'm trying to do now is I got like a uh, like an entry level mirrorless uh, Canon M50 joint, and oh, I like the M50s. I, you know, it's 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 not bad. Like I'm taking some good it's pictures good with it, and uh, I'm like, man, I kind of want to upgrade my camera, but I don't feel like it's a need to upgrade a camera because I'll go on mm-hmm. Flickr and I'll type in my camera, and I'm like, man, I ain't taking them type of pictures. So why am I going? Yeah. Buy this two thousand dollar Nikon when? Not, like honestly, here, here's a here's a tip on that because people ask me this all the time about you know upgrading their gear. If you have to ask, you don't need to upgrade it because you don't <laughs> know a, enough yet. That's a fair point. Like when you know enough about photography, you're gonna your skills are gonna outdo your camera. That's when you upgrade when your camera can't do what you need it to do professionally. Like. Okay, uh, all my images aren't sharp enough. Are you doing everything that you can to get those images as sharp as possible? If the answer is yes, then you might need to upgrade your lens before the body. Mm-hmm. FYI, upgrade the lens always. Always upgrade the lens over the body. Always. Absolutely. The glass matters Great. so much more. Glass matters more than anything else. So the much glass, more. 
lasts forever. Great glass. I mean, I've shot with 50-year-old glass before. It's still brilliant. Oh, it probably looks so, great. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, Germ- oh, German glass? Oh, my God. It's, it's insane. It, it's insane. But, the, I mean, the moral of the story is seriously uh, – You'll know. You'll know only. You'll know when you figure out photography a little better if you need to upgrade. And and that's the tough part because, like you know, when trying to do uh, a lot of the traveling. Well, we're not doing much traveling now, but when we are traveling, right? Like getting that shot right, right? Because you mm-hmm. want it to stick out. You want it to do everything. Uh, you want it to tell that story. And a lot of people mm-hmm. are, are getting into amateur photography now, which is great um, because these there's no reason why you shouldn't document whatever experience. It doesn't have to be going to, mm-hmm. you know, Beijing. It could be if you're a kid in Cleveland going to New York for the first yeah. time, right? Like, well, honestly it should be. The, so uh, a lot of people don't know this, but I actually, I give away passports and I teach photography to kids. So if, if there's an interesting kid who reaches out to me, I I'll teach them photography as much as I can. Um, I started a small nonprofit foundation for this specific reason. And here's why. I'm so sick and tired of white people telling our stories. I'm sick of it. Speak on And it. in our community, you know, we have this tendency to bitch and moan about the narrative that's being, oh, they're portraying us like this. Well, okay, how are you portraying us? How are black photographers portraying us? There are some brilliant black photographers and thank God they're finally getting their shine because this is Black Lives Matter uh, uprising lately. But we, we've been out here. You know, Gordon Parks is one of the greatest photographers of all time. We Absolutely. know about the Harlem Renaissance because of Gordon Parks, a black man, a black photographer who wasn't from New York. He's from Kansas. <laughs> like, he's not from New York or Chicago. If we teach these kids or people in general, people of color in general, about photography, about how to tell a story, which is what your teacher was trying to teach you, how to tell a story through imagery, we, we're in the driver's seat now. We have the opportunity to tell our own story. So it doesn't have to be, yo, I'm going to New York for the first time. No, this is what it's like to be young, broke, and black in the inner city. That's the story that people need to see. As opposed to everybody wants to, like, oh, I want to become a travel photographer. No, just become a photographer first. Because once you master the foundations of documentary photography, of street photography, you can do anything. Street photography is the most important skill set that you can learn as a photographer because you can shoot anything you want after that. Not to mention, you have an opportunity to document your truth, the truth of your family and the truth of your community. You are absolutely right. And that tells the story. Mm-hmm. that tells Absolutely. the story so yes like and that and that's a really good piece of advice for everybody no matter where you are in 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 the space like yeah start telling your story and and document like you said documenting your truth uh mm-hmm. shit i'm gonna take that for my own because i've yeah. been you know i've been going at it backwards trying to go out to all these different locations and shoot this shoot that when you know, really, I can just step outside my door. Yep, and practice is is practice. Like, and you know, let's let's say this. I'll give you a photo project. Sit on your porch, right, or in your complex or wherever yep, you are. I got a porch. I'll and, try that. And and take a picture of a new person every day, just randomly. Do that for two weeks, 
a random person that walks past your house, take their picture. The following two weeks, approach a new person every single day to take their picture. Like, can I take your portrait? And, I, and most people will tell you, yeah. Most people are going to say, yeah. Some people will say no. And when you take those pictures, because, you know, these people likely live in your neighborhood, get them printed out and give them to those people when you see them again, because you will. And as soon as, first of all, it's going to get you more comfortable with your camera. Secondly, it's going to get you more comfortable with approaching people that you don't know. And thirdly, you're going to see your photos in print and you're going to see all the mistakes that you made and all the things you did well. So you can grow and adjust from that. Nothing does that like print photography. Print, there's no hiding behind print. Digital, easy to hide, easy to manipulate. But print, when you look at print, you're like, fuck, I should have took two steps backwards. <laughs> and, and there's nothing you could ever do. You can't fix that photo. It's, it's over with. So that's going to be stuck in your head, that mistake, and you're going to adjust every single time. So that's, that's a photo assignment for you, man. I, I, and, and, and you're going to see a light year difference in just a month. Bro, I'm going to do that. I am going yeah. to do that because we ain't got nothing but time. Ain't got nothing but time. <laughs> we ain't got nothing but time. We ain't got nothing but time right now, man. If you're not learning something, I don't know what you're doing right now. <laughs> Bro, what? So, speaking of time, I know um, we got to wrap things up here. One more question for you um, before course. we get out of here. So, you've lived, obviously, right around the world, traveled all these different places. Um, two, it's kind of a two-parter. Um, and I know this could be tough, but, you know, what... Of all the places you've lived, and I think you named about four or five different different countries outside of the U.S., um, what was the u- most unique experience living um, in one of those countries? It doesn't have to be your favorite. doesn't have to be your worst, mm-hmm. but just most unique experience living outside of America. Um, yeah, I mean, that's tough, but I think uh, this goes to the, our conversation from earlier. Uh, my time in Romania, there, uh, the thing about Romania is there are not a lot of black people in general in mm-hmm. Romania. And, and, and it's interesting to me because Romania is one of the most welcoming and kind places in the world. And, you know, if you look at my YouTube, some of my best videos are the ones with my Romanian friends. And a lot of, uh, a lot of the things that didn't make the cut uh, were the very raw and real conversations I had about race and class with uh, Romanian peoples. How their treatment of the Roma community, or we would call gypsies, is an almost identical parallel to how Black folks have been treated in the United States. It's almost identical, but they don't see it that way. As locals, local Romanians don't see it that way. Mm. And that that was a very unique experience for me to be in a place where I'm not marginalized as a, as a black man, but I'm in the presence of abuse and marginalization and, and yes, racism. I'm, I'm not a victim of it, but I, I'm observing it. And it was, it's a bizarre feeling, especially when, you know, somebody like me, I'm going to speak up on it. If I see something wrong, I'm going to speak on it. And, you know, the people like, well, what the hell are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? It's not the same thing. You don't understand. I'm saying, no, no. I understand that you feel this community of people are inferior to you, yet it, it, so it validates your abuse of that community. I fully understand that concept. Oh, it goes back. No, 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 no. There's, that's a foundation right there. Everything else means nothing. Like the foundation of this is you feel that you have the authority to abuse these people because of the color of their skin or their culture. 
that's it. You know, um, so that I would have to say that's probably the most unique um, experience living in another country is, you know, being uh, adjacent to racism, but not a victim of it. And I watched that YouTube video where you talked to the professor at, uh, I think, uh, UT. where was he from? Yeah. UT, yep. Um, UT. And yeah. it was, it was, you could have, you know, inserted black and taken out Gypsy exactly. and it would have been the exact same yep. conversation. So, And, and, and we don't, and, and that's, uh, that's another thing that, um, you know, I wish our community um, was more aware of is the parallels that abuse takes globally. Like, you know, and, and, and honestly, man, we have an issue within our community with racism. Um, not, not like, now I know a lot of people are going to listen to this and say that black people can't be racist. I understand that perspective, but I disagree with it. And the way that we look and treat other, other people of color around the world really has to be analyzed. We have to take a step back and look at the parallels between what was done to us and what we do to other people, or at the very minimum, how we treat other people, how we look at other people. I guarantee you there's somebody listening to this, some black man where their mom said, you better not bring a white girl into my house. I guarantee you somebody has been told that in our community who's listening to this. They, but we don't see that as a problem. We see that as a preference or as survival. So when we have these opportunities to truly integrate in these communities, experience these cultures, we have to take it as a responsibility to accurately represent and interact with them beyond what we do for the gram. Because there are levels to this shit that we don't even comprehend in the United States. The caste system in India is a great example of this. So when we have these trips, these opportunities, I beg our people to take a second before you go to research the experience of marginalized communities in these places and educate yourself. And when you're there, ask those very difficult questions that we wish people would ask about us. Absolutely right. Yeah, I spent a couple months in India back in 2013. It was literally eye-opening. Yeah, literally it's eye-opening. rough. It's, it's, I mean, anybody who, anybody back home that has a, you know, MacBook Pro and a phone and some J's talk about they broke and eat every day at Benihana. I'm like, yo, your ass need to go to India. And you don't even got to go that far. Go to Haiti. I went to Haiti uh, for earthquake release when I was, relief when I was in the military. Mm-hmm. Bro, we don't even understand. We don't even understand prejudice and abuse and poverty until you, man. It's something else. It's something else, man. man that's, it's, yeah, that's, that's all I can say is it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Last question people, for you. You go, to, you go to India to experience, not to vacation. <laughs> man, we have a whole separate conversation about India, bro. We have a whole separate conversation about India. But before we get out of here, last question. Post-COVID, where are you headed? To just get clear your mind, have fun. Where's the post-COVID location for you? Honestly, man, uh, I haven't spoken about this publicly yet, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying in Thailand. Okay. Um, uh, I've decided to do a lot more domestic travel. Uh, I believe Thailand is um, easily one of the best travel destinations in the world. Um, And I just don't explore Thailand as much as I should. So I've decided to start a project where I go to all 77 provinces 
um, in Thailand, um, which will be the equivalent of all 50 states in the U.S., um, and, and, and just show that and vlog it and take photos. Um, if, uh, and, and, you know, I'm talking shit now, but I know <laughs> once the, the travel bug going to bite me, I got to go. But it's actually, I want to go back to India. Um, I was, I just was uh, exposed to Southern India. Tamil Nadu, uh, excuse me, Tamil Nadu and Kerala. It's, at, it's one of the best places I've seen in the world. I mean, it, it, it's, Southern India is, it's like another world. It's like a movie. It's like, and mind you, I've been to 95 countries. Southern India was one of the very few shocks that I've had. And mind you, I've been to India maybe 16 times, 16, oh, 17 wow. times. And this was my first time South. This was my first time in Southern India. You know, I stayed away from it because every single blogger I knew was going to South India making content. I'm like, man, I'm going North or East or West. I'm going to, or, you know, I'm going to spend a month in Mumbai, documenting Mumbai. And I go to Jaipur and Jodhore and Varanasi and I go to the Kumela and, and I was doing everything I could in India not to go South. I was invited by a French company to come, come on this uh, press trip for two weeks. Blew my mind. Blew really? Blew my mind from the photography, from the food, from the landscapes, from the people, the energy, from the culture and history. It was my, it was life-changing experience. And I had to cut it short because of COVID. Um, I, I came back in February. I was supposed to stay until the beginning of March. Um, but I ended up having to come back because they were talking about closing the border. So oh, well, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, went to, I went to Mumbai and then I flew back. But um, yeah, India, top of the list. And right behind India will be Iran. Um, I've been trying. Iran, uh, that is one, not what yeah. I was expecting. Yeah, COVID, COVID fucked me on this one because I've been trying to get to Iran. Um, I dated an Iranian girl um, in, um, in university and her family was brilliant. They always invited me to come to Iran for a visit. Um, and you know, this is, you know, what's this 10 years ago. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to come, I'm going to come, I'm going to come. And this was the year I had everything lined up. I had uh, invites, I had, um, clients ready to go and then COVID hits and I, I wasn't able to make it. I was supposed to be there in July. So Iran top of my list, man, Iran back to India and Iran, man. I was not expecting Iran to make a list, but you know, I've heard it's, it's, it's a really cool place, but again, because of the lens of America, we only see Mm -hmm. it as war torn, which I mean, there is some of that too, but it's a beautiful place. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 One of the most progressive places in the region. So I'm definitely, uh, I'm excited to go see it and document that experience. Absolutely. Mike, Eric, I certainly appreciate it, man. This has been a great conversation. Um, Oh man. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate having, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's special. I love, I love stuff like this. I got homework. Like no, nobody I ever have on gives me homework, man. I got to get the camera and get out here (laughs) on my Gordon Park shit. You know what I'm saying? I got to do it. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, you know, and if you need any tips or help or, or, you know, you know, something's not moving right, just let me know and I'll be glad to help you. Why, 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 why